0: Hello and welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. My name is Bianca Woolwick and I'm the host. I interview my friends and people that inspire me to figure out if they have the key to life and they feel successful or feel like they don't fit in like I do. Anyway, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. Listeners, It's January. As I mentioned, merch, a website, all of that, it's coming down the pipeline. But I just wanted to uh, remind everyone that if you feel like you have a story to share or advice for my listeners, you can be a podcast guest. Please email pdkmopodcast at gmail.com. Interviews are being scheduled within the next 30 days, and I'm trying to get enough interviews to get through another year of podcasting, so feel free to reach out. Again, the email is podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send me your 30,000-foot elevator pitch, and I look forward to hearing from you. This week's episode features safety expert Jay Allen PhD. He is a pretty cool dude um, who had some interesting things happen in his career, which has shaped kind of where he's at now. So it's a great perspective, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hey, how's it going?
1: Oh, pretty good. How are you?
0: I am doing well. You know, another day at this point. I'm never sure what day of the week it is. So to my listeners, this is Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome, and the lovely voice you are hearing on the other end is Jay Allen. Jay, would you like to give your 30,000-foot elevator pitch, who you are, what you do, etc.?
1: I will make sure that it's not 30,000 feet tall, but (laughs) we'll make sure to try to make it short. My name is Jay Allen. I am an industrial and organizational psychologist who is also known to be a motivational speaker, and I host two radio shows and two podcasts, so it's kind of a different world out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've kind of mentioned this a few times and I actually chuckled because I'm looking at your answers. Um, So Jay and I uh, matched through this, well, not even match. I just reached out to you um, verbatim, but basically matchmaker.fm. It's a free service um, hosted by podcast.co that I've just kind of been dabbling in. You've been dabbling in and it seems to be working out for both of us. So um, thank you again for taking the time to interview with me. And I'm really excited to share your story. So let's just pop into it, the elephant in the room, which is, of course, imposter syndrome, of course, what this podcast is about, the feeling of feeling being found out as a fraud, et cetera. Um, So I always like to ask this question because resoundingly, everyone has the same answer. And I always say, if your answer is not this, I'm wary of you. So do you feel like you have it all figured
1: out? Oh, absolutely not. And whoever tells you that they do is full of, well, I don't know if we can curse. I won't say it, but full of crap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't mind. Yeah. Um, yeah okay. we're, we're typically pretty, uh, you know, safe for work in here, but, you know, occasional <laughs> shit and fuck is fine.
1: So <laughs> okay, just, just want to make sure. Now, now, the other thing is that you referenced that we met on matchmaker.fm. Mm-hmm. Now, when you first started telling people about this, did you, when you first told them, doesn't it sound like a dating app? Oh,
0: my husband was like, because I use Bumble BFF for friends. So I use the, um, and I met my husband through, through Tinder and, and a, a number of other matchmaking websites was how we met because I said, no, I don't want to go on a date on Tinder. And then we matched <laughs> on Bumble and then he found me on OkCupid and I was like, fine. So, um, but that's, you know, different stories, yeah. but I'm pretty privy to those kind of, you know, dating apps, being a millennial myself, but matchmaker.fm. Yeah, it does sound like it would be a dating website. So I, I, I told my husband, I was like, yeah, so I, fa- I met this guy on matchmaker and he's like, what?
1: Like right. No I, I, was telling, I, was, I was telling my wife, it was like, yeah, I'm signing up to be a founder on Matchmaker. And she kind of looked at me like, what? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's for, it's for um, actual interviews on podcasts and radio shows. And I kind of got the look. So I was like, probably I need to give a better explanation next time.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting uh, name though, but I will say the people that are on there are incredibly interesting. And it's funny because a lot of the people that I've reached out to, Um, or have reached out to me, I've been like, okay, well, you have a podcast about imposter syndrome, but I don't know if I have imposter syndrome, but I was really nervous to message you. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that's imposter syndrome. Like, (laughs) what's your email? Send you a questionnaire. Let's do it. So yeah. And regarding like the feeling like you have it all figured out and stuff. um, Yeah. No, I don't. Um, I think that life is a complete, completely moving goal post. As soon as you hit that goal, there's another goal or you're always working. What you learned five years ago is different from five years from now. So I definitely appreciate that answer, but it kind of feeds into the feeling of imposter syndrome because we're comparing ourselves to others. So we'll just pop into that question. Do you feel like you fit in or suffer from imposter syndrome and what ways and what does imposter syndrome mean to you?
1: Well, I definitely suffer from imposter syndrome because I, I look at it almost like you're giving the explanation there about the goals is once you actually get to whatever that plateau is or whatever you're trying to reach, you look at it and you go, does it give you that feeling that you thought that you were going to get by being there? That's mm-hmm. the first thing that I would run into. And then the next thing that I look at is that, The whole aspect of being an imposter is that you never think that you're good enough once you actually make it into that whole area. I mean, you're always kind of doubting yourself. And I always think it's funny because when I tell people that I'm a psychologist, they look at me and they go, oh, you kind of have it all figured out. No, I don't have it all figured out at all. And I just sit there and laugh. And really, when you start looking at imposter syndrome, it's a psychological pattern in which one doubts one's accomplishments and has a persistent fear of being exposed, is it a fraud? And I think that we kind of do that daily. And it could be anywhere from your personal life to your work life, to even your work environment or even your environment with friends. So it's multiple ways to look at it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's interesting as I've had this conversation now with just people all over the world and all walks of life, what I'm starting to realize is the resounding theme is people really feel this when they're not like living their truth or, or maybe they're in the wrong industry or perhaps they're in the wrong position and it's like their psyche screaming at them like, hey, this isn't right. Um, In a lot of ways, I've kind of noticed that as I've gone from job to job in in my career, um, that when I would feel it the most was when I was the most unsure of myself because I wasn't sure if I had a seat at the table, even though I knew that I earned it. And it's just kind of interesting how I started out thinking this might have just been a woman thing, like a a female thing, or then I thought, well, maybe it's, you know, roped into sexuality and how people feel about it. And now I'm realizing it's a completely human emotion. It just has this really scary terminology on it. People are afraid to, um, you know, say, oh, oh, yeah, I have that because they, you know, it, it sounds scarier than it really actually is.
1: No, totally agreed. Totally agreed. And I think that, you know, from a female perspective, it has to be so interesting too, because you bring in the aspect of sexuality where people go, does this play a factor on what I'm trying to accomplish? Because I mean, if you kind of go with some old school mentality and I'm talking about the older white male that, mm-hmm. you know, think the good old boys club used to be like an important thing of, well, I can say this to this female. And maybe if she agrees with what I'm saying, she'll be willing to move up within an organization. And I think that. We're trying to go get so far away with that from that which we should be doing. But then I look at it from a female standpoint and go, "How do you look at that now? I mean, now that we're making the transition from the me, too, me the me too movement to now, I mean, how does that transition work? You know, as we as we move forward."
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny because I've I just. And the more and more I've had this conversation, the more I'm like seeing how it rears its ugly head in so many different ways and so many aspects of your life. And I can think back and pinpoint when imposter syndrome in my career started, I had uh, interned and then I got hired at an advertising agency and I was just in shock and awe that they even wanted me. They were so cool. It was like this advertising independent advertising agency in Denver, Colorado, which is where I'm from. And I got hired and I was like, wow. And my boss um, at the time, I was one of one in a department. They were trying to prove it. It was 2011. So they're trying to figure out if return on investment for digital marketing and social media even made sense. I had no idea what I was doing. I was 22 years old. And my boss would sit me down each week and he would say, you have to be wary of your perception and how you make me look. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like I, you know, I'm 22, 23. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. And that kind of just continued to play. It it, it really kind of shattered my view of myself in my career. I felt so unsure of myself and what I was doing and and am I meant to be here do I fit in here um, and ultimately I didn't fit in there at all I'm not an advertising person I'm not cool enough I don't you know I don't I'm not hipstery enough I, I don't have weird ideas um, and so I just didn't fit in really ultimately that was what it was but did, did,
1: did you ever figure out what he meant by that uh, um how you make me look like what does that mean
0: so he wasn't a really well liked guy um, around the office. Well, just I can so understand why <laughs> I can remember that the creatives really liked me and they wanted to be my friend. But he was kind. It was almost like a jealousy factor that like I they, they wanted to they wanted to befriend me and they saw like a young creative person coming into this thing. And he was you know in his forties on a second kid on a second marriage, and he was all about like I need to be we need to have equal paternity for maternity leave and I was like that's weird and <laughs> I don't know he just he just wasn't overwhelmed well-liked dude and it's funny because I've talked to people since then um and they're like we don't know what he does like he still works here we have no idea what he does
1: <laughs> and, uh, hey if you can pull off the magic trick hey, to- but I, exactly time, right?
0: I'm like what are they feeding you because I would like to know but you know, I wish, I wish that agency the best, they do some amazing work. It just wasn't a fit for me, but that's kind of where in my career I started noticing it. And it really took a long time to kind of unravel that feeling and feel confident in myself and my decisions. Um, because you know, when someone tells you that, that warps your reality, it starts to shape your reality. You start to think like, I'm not good enough. I'm not meant to be here. Um, and so, yeah, it took me a long time to kind of get over that. And then, Even when I had like the position that said like, hey, you've earned this, you're marketing director and it's a big title, you know, you can fly really close to the sun, you can be a CMO or a VP, like those are your next steps. Um, Even then I would feel it. And I had 10 years of experience on my employee and 10 years of experience on my boss in marketing and all of that. So it's just interesting how even when you've earned it, you don't feel like you deserve it.
1: Very true. And I mean, and that's the thing where when you earn something, I always find it interesting, the term deserved and earned, because I think that sometimes people try to use it as a bit interchangeable, not realizing that earned, there's so much work that you put into it, where people don't really deserve, it's something that you have to work for, especially when we're talking from a work environment. So I just want to make sure that I'm clear there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think like imposter syndrome, it just is deeply connected into the feeling of success. And so I love asking this question each, uh, each week to my guests. Uh, Basically just success is defined differently to every single person. And so what looks like success to me would look different uh, for you. So what does success look like to you and do you feel successful?
1: Well, that's it's a good combo question for sure. I think that you know success looks like having the capability of accomplishing a goal that one has set, but it also depends on what you're doing. It kind of plays a, a f- standpoint there. And then I don't feel successful, but from the standpoint on when one, one believes that you, ha- from the standpoint of having materialistic things, because I think that a lot of people determine success by, oh, I have a Lambo in my in my garage, and that's going to make me successful. But I mean, if I look at it from a standpoint of career-wise, I guess one can say that I have been successful Mm -hmm. in regards to what I've accomplished in my work. But then how do you measure success? Is it popularity? Is it based on the things that you've done? I mean, if it's by the work that I've been able to perform and research, then I will say yes. If it's a materialistic type of thing, then my answer would be no.
0: Yeah, I really like that. Um, I strive very wholeheartedly to not be a materialistic person, um, and you know, I always have advocated for therapy. And in the last you know month or two, I've been going. I've finally taken my own advice, and I love my therapist. Shout out to Justina; she's awesome. Um, but I, I definitely have been working on kind of being able to accept a compliment and feel loved, and those things that maybe might have been, you know painful in childhood that I'm now like working through, but even so like recognizing and feeling grateful for the things that I have and the things that I've done. and uh this answer can sometimes have so many different uh prongs on it like some people define success by the white picket fence or the 2.5 kids or I, if i'm married then i'm a successful and i am married and i feel very successful in my marriage um i have an amazing partner um you know we support each other that's that's the way i feel successful another way i feel successful and this is because on paper i mean my career is kind of it started and stopped it started and stopped i've I'm a millennial. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've worked through a recession. So I I find that um, as far as like what goes on paper, um, I feel, I feel, I, I would feel I'm proud of that track record. However, right now, what, what makes me feel successful is that, Regardless of whether or not my podcast is um, monetizing for me, and regardless of the fact that I'm not making anything monetarily from this, I wake up every day with a sense of gratitude. I'm relaxed. I'm happy. I'm working on myself. And 2020 has been a really great year of introspection for me. So I'm finding that success to me now just means that I wake up every day and I feel grateful.
1: So let me ask you a couple of questions, if you don't mm-hmm. mind. And I yeah. apologize about doing this. That's no, okay. The, the therapy that you're doing, are you doing it in person? or Are you doing virtually?
0: Right now, we do tele, uh, tele. like so. I do fa- we FaceTime, um, and yeah, so that's been it's been nice. Um, we, we there when they were trying to move people back into the office, but then of course uh, Newsom, our governor, shut everything down again. So, uh, regardless, I had told her I just want to stick on FaceTime.
1: <laughs> it, it makes it a lot easier of a commute, I would imagine too. Yeah. When you, when you turn- Turn the phone on and go. Okay, we're Facetiming. Then mm-hmm. the other the other portion is you say that you have not monetized the podcast. So as you're looking at this and you wake up daily and you're grateful mm-hmm. that you have this medium that you're able to use, do you look at do you look at it and go because I'm not generating revenue, this is not something that I see a value in. Is that is there any of a thought of that? Because some people put value on what they generate. Or how are you looking at it as an individual? No.
0: So I have this saying, Jay, that if this podcast helps one person, then I've done my job. And one thing that's been really, like, in ways I measure success with this is it's not, again, like, I, I think I when I talk about it, it's like that Western idea of, like, it has to make me money for it to be successful. Um, for me, on, like, a, a passion project level, um, it's okay that it doesn't because I've been told by women who are in their 50s who, uh, you know, were friends of someone that I interviewed or a family friend of someone I interviewed, like I've been feeling this way my entire life. I didn't know there was a term for it. Now I can get the help that I need, or now I can start reading up on this and figure out how I can combat this. Um, and so it's, it's been pretty therapeutic to hear that it's helping people in a way. So for me, the goal was always just to get to, word out about this to familiarize it to normalize it but then also to hear people's different stories of how they've combated it or how they feel that way and because of that i feel like there's success in helping. so that's kind of where i'm measuring it
1: got it it makes perfectly good sense
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> Um, so I love this portion of my podcast. Um, it's always fun to talk about the things that people are absolutely fanatical about and the things that, um, we might have that are unpopular opinions. And I always like to share something that I'm currently fanatical about. Um, so, uh, I got a puppy recently, um, and up until not even 20 minutes before you and I pressed record, he was lovely until he had an accident and then I had to give him a bath. So, um, he is a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. His name is Bourdain. He's adorable named after Anthony Bourdain. Um, but he's also a puppy and a nightmare at the same time. <laughs>
1: Hold on. So there's an Anthony Bourdain reference. And then there's based on some of the information you had sent me, there was a Guy Ferrari reference as well. Oh, is, yeah. are, you, are you a foodie or is this what we're finding out?
0: I am, I am absolutely a foodie. Um, you know, before before all this stuff shut down, my husband and I, um, the, the, the most recent restaurant we went to that we loved, we went, to, we went to Vegas right before the pandemic, and everything shut down. It was, shared, canceled her concert. I mean, if I'm looking back, she probably had COVID, to be completely honest, it was February. Um, and I was devastated because she was on my bucket list, but in Park MGM, which is um, one of their newer hotels kind of down the strip in the kind of MGM area, um, if you're military, you get like 25% off at all the restaurants and all that. So we were kind of enjoying that. We we're staying at the Excalibur. We are having a great time and we got dinner. We got just lucky enough that we didn't, we didn't book a reservation for Roy Choi's best friend in Las Vegas, but we ended up getting in like in a fluke situation and we had Kogi tacos and like we're still thinking about them they're incredible um okay and, hold on how, yeah. do you, how do you
1: get in on a fluke situation Well, like, under- two, understand people the left, fluke. two people
0: left and they were like we can squeeze you in right here and then they like took us in the back room there's this huge like mural of like you know, Biggie and Tupac, and we're like, okay, cool, this is <laughs> me, um, and it was awesome, it, it was really cool, but then I found out that Cher was canceled, and that was a bummer, but overall, that was kind of, like, those are the memories that he and I cling to. We watch a lot of cooking shows, um, Kitchen Confidential is the book that we both really enjoyed, but then also, um, we've always wanted to name a dog Bourdain, uh, because, even before Anthony Bourdain committed suicide, even before all of this, I always loved his travel shows and the way he traveled and the way he was really trying to learn the culture without being hokey about it through food and then just like a really nice way. Um, and from everything I've read about him, you know, he was a, he's a pretty great person. And fortunately, you know, people have demons that we might ne- never see. And uh, so, Cavaliers are. Um, they're, they're referred to as the love sponge. They love everything and everyone, and they're very agreeable as a breed. And uh, so we felt like that was a really fitting breed for the name.
1: It, if they're a love sponge, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then I do love Fieri, a guy Fieri. I eventually do want to get another Cavalier and name it Fieri. And I know that like there was a rivalry between Bourdain and Fieri, but Bourdain just hated, you know, celebrity over the top chefs and then I think Guy Fieri is a meme of a, a meme of a man. I just think he's hilarious.
1: So now have you been to any of his restaurants?
0: Yes um, oh. actually when we got married in Vegas we stayed at the hotel that had his restaurant in it and we like this following morning hung over because we had had friends in town and stuff and we we're like well, we're gonna go day drink up and down the strip. Um, so we did we started with like trash can nachos and like Bloody Marys at that That's restaurant. They're so good. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, all right, let's take on the day. So yeah, we, de- we definitely love it. And then there's, um, we're kind of slowly picking at the restaurants that are on Triple D. And hopefully most of them make it, th- And the- at least the ones in San Diego, um, most of the ones that are on there have so far have made it through the pandemic. But we're kind of just slowly chipping away at that. So anyway, that was a tangent. <laughs> what are you fanatical about?
1: Well, uh, if I have to say that I'm fanatical about anything, it's really about people safety. Mm-hmm. I've fallen in love with something called human and organizational performance, also referred to as HOP. The reason that I fell in love with this is because I was working at a at a particular popular electronic retailer. Mm-hmm. And we ended, up, um, we ended up killing someone. And it oh, kind of changed gosh. the way that I looked at everything in my career from that point on. I was actually... Um, a regional operations manager at the time. And from that point on, I was more concerned about getting people home than actually on how much, on how much money we would actually generate, which is kind of a, an odd thing from an operations kind of person mm-hmm. to say at the time. But I just kind of realized that there was so much value in life. And without trying to go into too long of a story, it was a vehicle incident that occurred. Most mm-hmm. people call it an accident. I'll call it an incident. But I was about to leave to go back to where I lived. This actually occurred in Seattle, Washington. I was actually mm-hmm. living in Miami, Florida at the time. And I was about to leave and take the flight back where I had one of the people that worked there called me and said, hey, we had something come up. I thought they were joking because I was trying to get back to my wife. But they said no, that it was serious and that I needed to come by. I ended up making it to the road to where they were at because it was on the 405. Mm -hmm. And when I was standing there and watching the aftermath of this big incident that occurred on the highway, the person that we ended up having the vehicle incident with that passed away, the mother showed up. And I remember her getting there crying. And she says, his girlfriend was eight months pregnant. Ugh. And I still, this was several years ago, over a decade at this point. And I can still remember that pretty vividly as if it just occurred yesterday. And that has really made me change the way that I look at my career and really made me quite fanatical about safety, even though it's kind of one of those things that people go, well, safety's kind of boring. Well, it is until something happens where you're kind of involved that it's, close to you mm-hmm. and that's what kind of changed everything for me that made me quite fanatical about it
0: yeah absolutely um similar well not similar but recently like, like just like you said like you know something an incident will change the way you think about things so my husband being a lieutenant in the navy and being on a sh- similar ship to the one that lit on fire um that has really changed the way that they're doing some safety protocols and what they're doing because that was a fluke situation it should have never happened but they were in the yards there was very um positive circumstantial things, even though that was absolutely awful. Um, and also kind of where I can see safety and all of that is definitely within my husband's training. Um, and even so I've seen previous leaders that I've had or bosses that I've worked for. Um, for instance, I had my boss last year, he flipped his, he flipped his car, he totaled it and it was on a rainy patch and he was on his way to a meeting. And he, after that was like, no meeting is worth, risking your life. Like that is 100% not what we should be doing. If we're out in the field, we should be very careful. Um, So it's kind of interesting how like these certain types of events that you come into contact with really do change how you feel about things. But even so, um, similarly with this pandemic and then also getting laid off and all of that, I have found that I have leaned more into the fact that I am a military spouse, um, where previously I was quite ashamed of that because I felt like I was less permanent in the workforce where I felt like that was a disqualifying factor for me. And I also felt like I didn't fit in within the spouses. And um, since then, and since this has all happened, my husband was on a very long underway where he didn't come back. I didn't know when he would be back um, where they had to assist another ship that had a COVID outbreak. Um, So that was like really intense. I'd never experienced something like that before because we'd met when he was on shore duty. So I'd never dealt with ship life. I didn't I lived in a landlocked state, like the Navy did not exist, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I was kind of flung into this new world where I didn't really know. And and now I'm thinking about my career and what I want to do next and how I want to help people and and how I want to help in general. And all I can think about is how the most underserved people I know is my spouse community. And there is a lot less opportunities for spouses than there are you know, veterans coming out. So that's kind of where my heart's kind of led me recently. Um, you know, my husband's getting ready to deploy, so uh, we're looking into some FRG opportunities, which is Family Read- Fleet Readiness Group or Family Readiness Group. But also I've got friends that work at Fleet and Family Support. So I'm starting to like kind of dip my toe and like, what do I want to do next? Because our next move is Hawaii. And so I'm kind of seeing that like marketing will always be part of my career, but that I have a voice that is louder than normal in the spousal community. And I've used my, I've used my podcast as a platform. I'm very active as an activist for equality and all of that, but also I'm very dedicated to helping spouses get hired.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to feel bad for you in regards to saying that you're moving to Hawaii. I'm going to start off <laughs> with that. That's going to be the first thing. But did you look at this as being a potentially a disadvantage because you might be having to move and your husband might be reassigned? Is that why you, you were hesitant at first about talking about it?
0: Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Um, so that was actually a big reason because when you move to a new duty station, Um, it's usually a two or a three year and and we, our goal, our hope when we moved to San Diego was we wanted to stay here. And basically the detailer was like, well, can your wife get cancer? And my husband's what? like, no. <laughs> and he's like, well, you guys are healthy. You don't need the Balboa, you know, system. You don't need this. Like, you're gonna have to go where you need to go for your career. And, and as a military spouse, you do a lot of things as a sacrifice for your partner. So, for instance, like, you know, he, when he was picking where we would want to go next, he gave, he showed, he told me what the options were, and he gave me the pros and cons of each one, and. You know, it just worked out that Hawaii made most sense next because he, if he wants to get set up when he gets out of the career and get out of the military in six years, this will set him up for a career outside of the Navy. And I would be lying if I said my husband was not terrified about what comes next in the next chapter. Um, But I'll try my damnedest to get them ready. That's, that's my whole help and goal. Because there's been times where I've had an issue at work and I tell him about it. And he's like, well, did you think about just telling them to fuck off? So I was like, <laughs> and I was like, that, what? No. I was like, I have HR. Like, they will literally fire me on the spot. I will get reprimanded. He was like, oh, okay.
1: It's like, that's how that works. <laughs> now, both, yeah. of my, both of my parents were in the Marines. So I understand the approach sometimes of, hey, just do this, which does not work sometimes in the real world. <laughs> And by the way, you sound like you had it pretty bad in regards of going from San Diego to Hawaii, you know, some of the most beautiful places on the planet, but uh, yep. it's okay.
0: Yeah, we actually, um, we own our home out here, so we will be renting it out, and we plan to retire out here, but when I say this to people that are civilians, they're like, wait a second, but like, he's 32, you're 30, you're 33, you're 31, and like, no, like, when he gets out of the military, when he's served for 20 years, my husband was um, enlisted prior before commissioning, um, so... Yeah, so we've got six years left, heaven forbid. And, you know, Hawaii, its it'll be good, it'll be good. I mean, we wanted Italy, but it's fine.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, Hawaii, you know, is, is a good second option. I, yeah, I
0: yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's definitely not without challenges because when you move to the island, then there's a whole skew of other things. And so um, getting a job as a spouse can be kind of difficult, of course. But I don't envision I will have any problem. But, of course, you know, people people can kind of outweigh based on like people who are native versus people who have come from the military and all that right. so
1: we so, will see <laughs> a couple different things there because as you probably have heard by now they're not allowing tourists you know, mm-hmm. using the tourist aspect until why until i think they said september now is i think that the, with the date that they just changed it to how does that apply to you being a military spouse will that act will that have any kind of effect on you if he gets if he has to go before you or how would that end up working
0: Oh, no, it would be next year and we would be fine. Um, you yeah. know, the, just right now with COVID and all of that, PCS and stop orders and, and, and what have you in the traveling, like I'm under, D, like I fall under DOD restriction, which my husband will always say, like, you can do what you want. Like, I can't hold you accountable, but however, I'm just following the rules because if I get COVID and I pass it to him, then he passes it to his entire ship, right? So, um, so cause it's insidious that way. So I just kind of, I follow the rules and I do what I'm told and I, you know, we stick to them, we adhere to them and we're being safe as possible. Um, and so that kind of applies to PCSing. So like, there's a lot of, um, uncertainty, Um, people got their stuff delayed because when this was all happening, you know, they're like, oh, shoot, can't move yet. So they're slowly moving people. They're slowly changing people and commands. Um, They're still making it as difficult as ever because it's the military. And, (laughs) and uh, the military, they always say, uh, plan, plan again, and then always have a backup because what my husband and I know right now is probably going to be different a year from now. Um, You know, things are changing on a dime. And, you know, it's to the point where, you know, my husband will tell me about his deployment or other deployments he's hearing about where like they don't get to do certain things they used to be able to do and it's just crazy so it's all kind of a fluid situation a really weird world right now um but yeah it's it's definitely been interesting but i also have found that it's been harder to relate to my friends who don't have that military tie because i i am fine and I you know I'm, I'm, I'm okay like I, I'm, I'm taking this time to like work on me and work on myself and I don't have a, a, a need to be stressed right now and it comes from a complete place of privilege and I absolutely know that but also um, you know my husband's essential so right. uh, so so I'm like I'm just like I'm chilling here we're good
1: <laughs> <laughs> so of course I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry about keep on asking oh, questions okay. but do you think that uh, you'll end up doing a military podcast as well
0: um my goal would be to eventually like be a guest on someone's um, because my third episode I interviewed my friend Shelby who her husband's a pilot and my husband is uh, in cryptology and so it's weird because even in spouses like even the spouse groups we have different things so Um, the surface warfare officers are different than the pilot community than are different than the seer community than are different from the you know just people who do do random stuff so it's it's very interesting how everyone has a different approach to it Um, but yeah I definitely have an interest in the veteran and the military space for sure
1: no because I think that that would be I will call it the voice for the voiceless Mm -hmm. in regards of The spouse aspect, I think that if you could actually kind of broadcast and really let people know what the spouse goes through and Mm have them have a better understanding, because I'll tell you, if you're, if you're not involved with somebody who's been involved in the military or have a better understanding of it, most of the times when they go, well, I don't, what's the big deal? Or I don't understand. And maybe, you know, you can open some people's eyes with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I definitely really appreciate that. And in regards to like safety and everything that you're doing and the work that you're doing now, I think that's awesome because the more companies that can actually take care of their employees, make sure that these things don't happen, make sure everyone's well rested, make sure that there's a work-life balance and that these issues don't come up. I mean, the better the community is going to be, the better that that company's going to do for its employees and all of that and continue with retention so I really think that's cool that that's kind of the angle that you're going at now and also um, that this allowed you to switch gears completely
1: yeah I mean it totally changed everything what I always find amazing is that when I get to an organization to start talking about this quote-unquote version of safety and I tell them what we quote as the principles and we say people make mistakes blame fixes nothing mm-hmm. learning and improving is vital context drives behavior and how you respond to failure matters. And they give you the look of, what do you mean? (laughs) Like, yeah, people make mistakes. And it's like, yeah, your best workers probably makes the most mistakes out of everybody. They just know how to cover it better. (laughs) So it's just kind of that initial shock. But it's always an interesting conversation to start.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So to dovetail off of that, um, on popular opinions, I always say as long as it doesn't hurt me or others, it's totally a fine and dandy opinion to have. Mine is always that I think cantaloupe is trash. They always bring their shitty plus one honeydew to the party of the fruit salad. <laughs> I'm not here for it. No one invited you, um, and it's just because my, I think I grew up eating it. My mom would like put lime juice and salt on it, and she would buy unripe ones. And my mom's favorite spice is parsley, so that says everything about flavors. <laughs> and I always feel like cantaloupe tastes to me like a, being strangled by a very weak person. So, um, or like, sometimes I feel like the flavor is like, um, kind of like how they talk about LaCroix where it's like static, um, white noise from another room about like whatever banana flavor it is or melon flavor it is. Um, so it's a silly opinion. Sometimes people agree with me, sometimes they don't. Um, but yeah, so what are yours?
1: (laughs) Well, I think that some of mine have to deal directly with politics. Mm I
0: think, I think talking
1: about politics is, directly a waste of time especially yep. if you have somebody from the right the middle the left however you want to look at it and I I think that it's kind of it's kind of pointless most of the times having the conversation because unless they're asking you directly your mm-hmm. opinion yeah. about something you trying to give your opinion yes. it's kind of yeah. like trying to jam something down somebody's throat you're not going to have the the benefit of the doubt by attempting to do that and I look at it as If people want to speak politics speak politics we're better off if you ask me or if you tell me something opposed to asking me a question because most of the times i don't agree with even you know the liberals or the right or the left so i'm not even Mm -hmm. sure where i stand
0: yeah absolutely and it's so funny because i just had a conversation with my mom last night and it was just like she basically (laughs) asked me if i thought that the virus was real and i was like oh my god (laughs) mom why um and she was like and she just was citing these articles and you're right you cannot argue when your opinion is different and i think i closed that conversation out by saying you know mom thank you for the college education that you've gifted me you and dad i'm going to use that education and educate myself so you can do the same if you'd like and um and and it was just like a mic drop i was like i gotta go (laughs) but no but but look
1: at it look at it this way so we started talking politics and just think about how crazy that it is this world that we live in. <laughs> yeah. The the first thing that comes in mind is the virus yep. because it's been so politicized now. Mm-hmm. So is it political or is it not political? Is it a hoax or is it not a hoax? It's there's so many different conversations yep. that come out of just certain themes which I go is it really worth talking about?
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, my, it's funny because my husband and I, when we got married, we had vows. My husband um, is very opinionated, just like me. Opp- opposites really don't attract in this situation. <laughs> and uh, so he, um, you know, he's gotten better about it. But I, in, in, our, in my vows, I was like, and even though you like to fight on the internet, uh, <laughs> I still love you. Um, but he, you know, he likes, he likes a good, um, he likes to be right and he likes a good debate about politics. And I've been told by many of his friends, colleagues, family about it. And I'm like, no, I know that's a thing he does. Um, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's endearing to the point. So now I just respond to all of his statuses. It's funny cause he's sitting across from me right now. <laughs> I respond to all of his statuses by just being like, stop, or I'll just put a, put a gif in there. But well, the
1: interesting part is that he's only hearing one part of the conversation. So, he has <laughs> absolutely no clue what I'm saying, which is quite fantastic. <laughs>
0: yes, I know. Um, but I, but I do agree. I think that I think I think you're spot on there. It's because if, if you've got a fully made up opinion about whatever it might be, if the right is right, the left is right, you're progressive, this, that, or the other. Nothing I say is going to convince you otherwise. If you think the sky is green, the sky is green. Like that is going to be. your opinion. And I think people have to like come to a new thing. Like right now in kind of with Black Lives Matter and all of this activism and allyship and people becoming woke for equality and it's uncomfortable. uh, There's a level of, okay, like you can teach someone to fish, but then they have to like fish for themselves. Like I can educate you on why that might be Rather ignorant, but it's up to you to do the groundwork to end your systemic racism, so to speak. So I'm just kind of seeing it from all angles with all of these very, very heated topics everywhere. And I will say that June was just so overwhelming for me. I was like, I don't want to log on (laughs) to Facebook. I don't want to look. I don't want to see anything.
1: <laughs> and why June in particular? Why was that so overwhelming for you?
0: I think it was just the media was blocking so much Black Lives Matter content. I mean, between the protests and stuff, and um, that, and it was like that. And then we were like, not really talking about. The pandemic anymore and then now it's like ah the pandemic again so it's just a lot of people just angry and bored in their houses being mad about things and i was just like get off the computer and like go ride a bike or something
1: <laughs> so that that almost brings up like a very good opinion question so now that you're seeing that you know there was a lot of things blocked in social media mm-hmm. what do you think about all these people that are pulling out that are advertisers from we'll say facebook in this particular one that are that are pulling out of facebook because they don't agree with quote unquote Facebook's hate speech?
0: Okay, so uh, I've always hated Facebook ads. It was my least favorite part of being a digital marketing manager. And uh, when you say that you want a digital marketing manager and you say that you want someone that's good at email and PPC and SEO and Facebook ads and all that crap, Facebook ads are in and of themselves. They change all the time, their algorithm is different. Um, so for me, I'm like, if you're not going to spend money on Facebook ads anymore, I'm all for it because <laughs> I <laughs> hate setting them up. Um, so as much as I think, you know, um, I, th- I just, I guess my opinion, this would be maybe unpopular as well. My opinion is that if you're going to be advertising right now, you better be saying the damnedest right thing. And you better be sensitive and you better have a really good message. And it better just be able to razzle dazzle me because right now I'm finding that people are canceling brands left and right as they see things that they don't agree with. Right. Especially because I'm my millennial group, we're very much like, Oh, they they did that. Nope, they're canceled. Um, and so we're very snap judgy um, sometimes. And uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. Where it's like, if I see an ad and I don't like it because I'm like, this is totally tone deaf or out of place, then for me, I'm like, why would you, like? Who was the person that decided this? Because I don't like
1: it. <laughs> well, and it's funny that you mentioned you know the Facebook aspect and how their algorithm works because there's so many different changes that occur inside mm-hmm. of that algorithm. Number one, and then. And that's the other thing is that now it's Facebook ads and it's also Instagram ads because of how they own both platforms, but mm-hmm. you're already aware of that. But then you take a look at it and also and we go into what we'll call cancel culture, mm-hmm. where if I don't agree, all of a sudden you're canceled. But sometimes some of the news reporting that's out there is not what I'll call 100% accurate, mm-hmm. that something could be taken out of context and have a whole change to your whole life just based on that. and Let's just be kind of. Let's be honest here. How the majority of people look at specifically a brand or a product will influence the rest. Is this way the, the way that it happens?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I definitely in, uh, agree with that. And I'm also not a huge fan of current journalism. I think it's messy. I think
1: it's not journalism. I think it's, it's unethical not journalism. And you, you know. And, and, I don't, yeah.
0: Well, I can't, yeah, well, I'm definitely, there's points where I'm like, did we get the same degree? Like, <laughs> did you take this ethics class? Cause I took this ethics class and it was hard.
1: I mean, they're and, all, you know, they're all opinion based. They're, it's exactly. so opinion based on the way that it works now. And if we, if we want to go back into a little bit of the politics side, it's like, if I watch CNN, well, I kind of know where you stand. If I watch Fox, I kind of know where you stand. Mm-hmm. If I watch MSNBC, I kind of know where you stand. And it's just so, driven one way or the other it's like where is the old school news where the Walter Cronkite's and I know that I'm going extremely old Mm -hmm. it makes me sound very dated but you start you start looking at that and go where is the journalism where you had the Peter Jennings of the world and all of that where it's not driven by quote-unquote the media behind the media like where is that
0: Absolutely. And I will leave it with a story that like just has stuck with me with regarding to uh, journalism recently. So I live in Lemon Grove, which is in East County, San Diego. Um, And uh, around the time that this all started shutting down and my husband was underway and I remember this happening for a fact that he was not here. I heard the helicopter kind of circling around my neighborhood, um, which is a cop copter because that makes sense. Let's put our tax dollars there. Um, <laughs> so it's floating around, and I hear that it's saying something. So I pop outside to hear what it's saying, and basically, it's saying they're looking for this man. Um, blah blah blah. Well, I'm in this Facebook group Lemon Grove, and I start to see posts about it, and people are taking photos of the crime scene, and people are talking about like what's going on, and like this is what happened, and. Then I see the news report. So a man had killed his girl ex-girlfriend's children coming to take care of the problem, so to speak. Um, You know, clearly a disturbed person, clearly some kind of mental issue there. Um, But the thing I didn't understand was that they interviewed the victim. And I just found that so unprofessional, so upsetting and like jarring that I was like, what is like, are we, are we getting the same classes? Did we take the same classes? And I know that I got my degree over 10 years ago, but like, like I wouldn't, what, you know? So that stuck with me. And that really kind of sullied my opinion of just modern journalism, if you can even call it that. And so from now on, I've just kind of like looked at everything through rose colored lenses where I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Like it just doesn't make sense that someone would report like that. So I, it just made me really think.
1: Well, I mean, it's absolutely true. It's the way the journalism was to what it is now is totally different. You can't even call it almost the same thing anymore.
0: Yep, absolutely. So we're kind of, you know, we think we've covered things fanatical, popular opinions, all of that. Um, given pandemic, what's going on in the world, things being different, 2020 being a different kind of year, um, what's currently making you happy in the world?
1: Well, I mean, the things that make me happy is, of course, my, my two daughters and my wife, they of course make me happy, but I really do tend to enjoy the work that I do and the people that I get to interact with. And even though it has changed the way that it was, because I used to get to inter- interact and go into different companies and organizations throughout the U.S. and throughout Canada, where I would go and visit in person, now it's just become a, a different medium where it's the whole virtual world. And I really enjoy being able to get to meet new people, I mean, such as yourself.
0: Oh, yay. I like that a lot. And I really do feel like there's such a beautiful, positive aspect to what's been going on in the world. Like, we've never been more connected. We've never been more communicative. We've never been checking in as much as we have been. Like, I know I, when this all started, I started talking to people I hadn't talked to in years. Like, that, I was like, hey, you know, they checked in on me. And then we would do Zoom happy hours. And we would talk all the time. And a lot of that's fallen off and we, you know, we still text and stuff, but even so it was nice to just feel connected because I was at the start of this completely alone. My husband was gone. And so, um, it's been really nice to kind of see also kind of where the workplace is going, how people are adapting and changing and just kind of, um, it, it makes me excited for the future of companies working, that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I really think that, as much as people are like, boo, this sucks, 2020, throw it away. I always say, if you don't come out of this a better person, like a better version of you, like if you don't take the time to focus on yourself, find a hobby, be creative, be more human, go to therapy, like do the things that you want to do to better yourself, then really this year was definitely not your year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, right now you have to take a look at a couple of different things. First off, hindsight 2020, that's going to mean so much more later down the road here. (laughs) Then the other thing is, did the Mayans have it mixed up? Was it really 2012 or was it 2021 that they were talking about that everything was coming to an end? Oh, gosh. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, yeah. I say that jokingly. <laughs> I say that jokingly. I, I, all the memes right now about like, did anyone have this on their bingo card? Like it's <laughs> just have been cracking me up or I saw one where it's like these aliens and they're kind of like holding their faces being like, oh my gosh, we're so nervous. We're next. <laughs> so yeah. And um, of course I always like to give my guests as we wind down the opportunity to pro- promote whatever they'd like. And you have a couple of podcasts. Um, feel free to promote whatever you'd like.
1: Oh, no. What I always like to tell people is that we have a radio station that's called Safety FM. It's available online at safetyfm.com. We have about 12 different shows on there, two of them that I host. But what I always tell people is that we talk about different formalities of safety. So they can come out there, take a listen, and not everything is the way that you think that safety is because safety can be kind of boring. Let's not lie because some people look at it that way. But we even have a show that's called The Rated R Safety Show. And we kind of try to take out the corporate bullshit and really talk about what's going on in the real world.
0: Oh, I love that. And as always to my listeners, I include all of the descript all of the links in the description um, that Jay provides me and all of that information. So you can connect with him, uh, get to know him. He's a very likable guy. Um, I've really appreciated the fact that he took this time out of his amazingly busy schedule to talk to me on Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. And Jay, thank you so much. I super, super appreciate it. And I hope that you enjoy your evening.
1: Oh, Bianca, thank you for having me on.
0: Thanks so much.